This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Uh, no time to talk tonight, so it's straight to the shows. The first, Fibber McGee and Molly from 1945, and the episode, Hot Water Shortage. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> of Johnson's Wax for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. just been reading a long letter from a serviceman's wife, and I wish I could read every word of it to you. Those of us who still live in our own homes with our own furniture can't possibly realize the discomforts and extra work many of these service wives have to put up with. This lady writes that the first thing she and her husband do to make an unattractive furnished apartment clean and livable is to give everything a good shining coat of Johnson's wax. Here are her own words. When I was back home, I never appreciated the expression, her house just shines, because all my friends' houses shone. Now I know that until my own things come out of storage, the Johnson's wax shine on the furniture is my biggest link with the quality and cleanliness I hope for someday. It adds dollars to the appearance of any atrocity it meets, and a fairly presentable piece will respond in a way to make any girl sing. Please, Mr. Wilcox, keep right on telling them. The families I've moved in after are people who haven't yet heard you. Thank you, service lady. I'll do my best to get everybody to use Johnson's Wax. barber is usually a bald-headed man who sells hair tonic. His customers are usually men who like their hair and the conversation cut short around the ears. Like the man in the chair right now, a Mr. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. So I'm writing President Roosevelt a letter, see? And in it, I'm saying to him, Dear Mr. President, look, kid, I got great ideas. Yeah, now, look, Nick, you told me how... Then in my own handwriting, which I am dictating to my wife because I don't write so somebody can read it, including me, <laughs> I'm going on to say, Look, I say, mm -hmm. the Army is needing plenty of ladies for a nurse. Is not? Yeah, but... So, also, we got thousands of guys who are too small on the eyesight for the draft, or maybe they got 
seven toes on one feet or something. <laughs> so I'm saying, why not take the rejectives and make them into guides for giving sick people the pills? <laughs> yeah, but if you don't mind, Nick, I Of just... course, so far up to now, President Roosevelt, he don't send me the answer. Yeah. Which is all right. Mm. He's just as busy as me, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I better send a telegram to the Mempar Commission and say, how about a shampoo? How can you give the Manpower Commission a shampoo? That question was not for the commission. You, I'm asking. Huh? Oh, I need a shampoo? Everybody's needing a shampoo at the regular periods of the interval. Are you different? No, I guess not, Nick. Go ahead. Only after you shampoo it, put some dressing on it quick, because I got a natural part in my hair that runs from one ear across my head to the other ear. See? <laughs> Looks kind of funny until it's plastic. <laughs> yeah, smart my hair. <laughs> after shampooing, we all... Hey, wait a minute, uh... How much is a shampoo? Fifty cents? Seventy-five. What? Six bits just to wash a guy's hair? Those are the ceiling prices, kiddo. That we got posted on the wall because nobody can reach the ceiling to pull them up. Why, so... that's enough. <laughs> Why, that's a dirty jip. Seventy-five cents to whip up a lather on a guy's skull and rinse it off again. Why, you scissor bill. <laughs> you high-handed, low-minded brush bandit. I got a good notion to report you to the OPA. Now, wait a minute, Mr. McGee. Let's not lose our temperature. Just because... I won't wait a minute. Here's the four bits for my haircut, and you can take your shampoo and... The haircut was 75 cents, too. What? Another six bits for cutting off not enough hair to make a toupee for a tadpole? You got a lot of nerve. I'll wash my hair myself. Let me out of this chair. Why, George, any time you get me into this nest of thieves again, you'll have to threaten me more than with a razor. Well, just put the 75 cents on the counter then, kid. Okay, Mr. McDonald, your next step in the chair. Mm, six bits for a shampoo. That's the dirtiest way to get clean I ever heard of. <laughs> so long, Dillinger. Six bits for a shampoo. Why, I'd shampoo the Dome of St. Paul's Cathedral for six bits. Compared with that guy, Jesse James was just a scared kid with a dry water pistol. I'll get his life. Six bits for a simple little shampoo. My gosh, I used to get my car washed for 80 cents. You must think I'm some kind of a yokel to sit still for a kind of a... All delight. right, dearie, all right, relax. You're home now, safe with Mother. Hey, Molly, you know what that Nick the Barber tried to do? That ham-handed scout gardener tried he to... He tried to charge you 75 cents for a shampoo. Yeah. And you stormed out of the shop and you're going to shampoo it yourself. Yeah, 75 cents for... Hey, how'd you know? Well, the barber just called up. I lit the hot water heater right away so the water would be hot and you could shampoo your own hair. Oh, so he called up, did he? What do he want? He wants his apron back. Well, he... Huh? Here. Let me unpin it for you. Oh, my gosh. There. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. No wonder everybody looked at me so funny. Why, you look like a flat-chested Mother Hubbard, did he? Mm. <laughs> I'll have uh, Beulah drop this bib off at the barbershop on her way home. Now sit down and relax. Gee, boy, am I embarrassed. Wearing that big apron all the way home. You must have really been angry, huh? Angry? One more word out of him, and I'd have shoved his barber pole down his noisy old throat. Oh, dear. Six bits for a shampoo. Why, that's outrageous. I don't think that's so unreasonable. Oh. I always pay a dollar and a half myself. Though it's worth it not to have to sit there and hear the patriots talk about how much revenue the government is losing by closing the racetracks. Well, my gosh. Hello, Alice. Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Hello, Alice. Hi, Alice. You've been out in the wind, Mr. McGee? Your face is awfully red. <laughs> 
Well, he had a little argument with the barber, Alice. He came home hotter than a depot stove. <laughs> well, my gosh, six bits for a shampoo at that barber shop. Don't you think that's ridiculous, Alice? Seventy-five cents? Yeah. Oh, it certainly is, Mr. McGee. They can't make any money at those prices. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Alice, why he doesn't wash his hair when he takes a shower anyway. Except that he's usually singing so loud he couldn't hear himself ask himself if he wanted to. <laughs> oh, well, I never hear him. But lately I've been so busy with my charts, I don't hear anything. What charts, Alice? You studying navigation so you can find your way home between the boys? <laughs> hey, that's not so bad. Between the boys. You see, if you spell it B-U-O-Y-S, it's a play on words. Hey, funny, McGee. <laughs> I was kind of pleased with it myself. <laughs> what charts, Alice? Oh, uh, my astrological chart. Oh. I was casting some horoscopes for some friends. I'll do yours sometime. Hmm. Are you a Capricorn? Am I a Capricorn? I'm an elk and a legionnaire, and I'm oh. mighty proud of both. No, no, I mean, what month were you born in, Mr. McGee? Well, uh, he was born shortly before Thanksgiving, Alice, and all white meat he was, too. <laughs> oh, he's a Scorpio. What do you mean, I'm a Scorpio? A Scorpio is a big crab with a stinger in his stern. <laughs> and if you mean that I... No. <laughs> No, no, McGee. Uh, Scorpio is merely the sign under which you were born. I was not born under a sign. <laughs> I was born five miles west of Peoria on top of Kickapoo Hill. <laughs> oh, no, Mr. McGee. Now, look. There are 12 different signs of the zodiac, see? Is that so? Yes. And everybody is born under the influence of certain stars and planets, depending on what time of the year you were born. I think McGee was born during an eclipse of the moon, Alice. <laughs> he chose such a big shadow. <laughs> oh, no fooling, Mr. McGee. It's very interesting. I've started to study astrology. Hmm? For instance, your horoscope for January warns that people born under this sign must not let themselves be imposed upon financially. Aha! You see, Molly, that barber was trying to impose on a Scorpio financially. <laughs> I knew all of it. Is Scorpio a good sign, Alice? Oh, Creeper is one of the best, Mr. McGee. Yes? Yes, but you must do as your horoscope says if you want to be happy. Yeah. You must control your temper, make allowances for other people, and follow through on any projects you have started. Like oh. washing your hair. Oh, is he going to wash his hair? <laughs> I just washed mine. That's why I'm wearing this towel around my head. Oh, my gosh, is that a towel? <laughs> I was just about to tell you I thought that was the best-looking hat I ever saw you wear. <laughs> Oh, did you wash your hair, Alice? Oh, I just finished. I'd have taken a bath, too, but the hot water is all gone. What? The water I was planning to use for my shampoo? Now, just a darn minute, Alice. What's the uh, idea? Uh, uh, Scorpio. <laughs> Control your temper. Make allowances. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. McGee. Oh, forget it, kid. <laughs> it's okay. Far be it for me to stand between you and Glamour. Use all the water you want. However... However what? However, if she don't want her pretty little neck wrung, she better light that water heater before I count to ten. One, two, three... I'm going! Billy Mills from the orchestra and fascinating rhythm.
you think the water's hot enough yet so as I can have a shampoo It should be, dearie, although Alice used every drop of it, you know. Yeah, just like a woman. With three of them in the house, a man hasn't got a chance. Oh, now listen. Men are just as bad. Huh? When Uncle Dennis was staying here, he was always taking a shower. Oh, I didn't begrudge him, though. The only way he ever took water was through his skin. (laughs) Well, my goodness. Oh, your water's probably hot enough now, McGee. Okay, I'll run up and have my shampoo before... Hey, tell Beulah to see that nobody turns off the heater for a while. I'll tell her right now. Oh, Beulah? Beulah? Somebody ball for Beulah? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to shampoo my hair, Beulah. (laughs) He got a little irked at the barber, Beulah. Thought he was being overcharged, so he's going to do it himself. Yeah, son. But them poor barbers, they sure work hard giving folks a shampoo. <laughs> they just wax their fingers to the bone. <laughs> Are you inferring that I have an ossified skull, my good woman? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but my cousin, he's a tonsorial artist. And I hear a lot about how hard he works. <laughs> well, Mr. McGee doesn't need a tonsorial artist. He had his out in 1928. Tonsorial refers to barbers, Molly. It's oh. from the Greek, tonsolasi marabatorium, meaning the quickest way to a man's scalp is to take a shortcut. Well, for goodness sake, you university man, Mr. McGee. <laughs> no, he isn't, Beulah, but he has an unusually well-rounded background, though. Yes, and I can see that. <laughs> You know what that big razorback wanted to charge me for a shampoo, Beulah? Hmm. 75 cents. Hmm. Imagine that. Six bits for a gob of soap suds and a dash of slameel number five. <laughs> that don't sound like no overcharge to me, sir. Barbara's give you a real good shampoo. My cousin says, phone me in one day telling me how to charge at least a dollar. For customers? No, ma'am. For barbers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. My barber's named Nick, and if he can't nick you with his razor, he'll nick you with the price list. Well, personally, I think barbershop prices are very reasonable, McGee. My cousin thinks so, too, ma'am. And he's the head of his class in barber college. Get a degree, Bula? Yes, a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. Oh, for goodness sake. Doctor of philosophy? No, ma'am. <laughs> Physiognomy is de-whiskered. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't getting my curly locks beautified. See that nobody turns the heater off for a while, will you, Bula? You want me to light it for you, sir? Oh, it is lit, Beulah. No, it ain't, ma'am. Excuse me. What do you mean? What? Well, I see the tank was full of hot water a little while ago, folks, so I embraces the opportunity to wrench out some window curtains. Oh. You mean it isn't hot now, Beulah? Right now, sir, it's as cold as a walrus's knees. Mm -hmm. Well, light the heater again, Beulah, if Mr. McGee still wants the shampoo. You're doggone right I still want a shampoo. Though I don't know why I need any hot water. The number of times I've been in a lather today, I ought to be as pure as a bookstore in Boston. <laughs> he ought to be as pure as a bookstore. <laughs> Love that man. <laughs> This is a fine state of how do you do? How do you do? Fine. How are all the... Look, now, this... <laughs> this is no joking matter, Molly. Gee whiz, a man can't get enough warm water in his own house to steam a monocle. If I ever build another house, I'll build it in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Well, 
The barber's probably just as perturbed as you are, McGee. He thinks you stole his apron. Well, it takes a thief to catch a thief. I'll tell him when he can get it back. And he should live so long. <laughs> Hand me the phone. Certainly, Scorpio. Here you are. And wear it in good health. <laughs> Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Nick's Barbershop at 14th and... Okay, Mert, how's yourself? Oh, dear. Is, eh? What's they, Mert? Your brother. Dropped 1,500 feet out of a what? Heavenly days, McGee. Was he killed? No, just amused. <laughs> He's a movie operator. Dropped 1,500 feet out of Gone with the Wind and nobody even noticed it. <laughs> What's they, Mert? Okay, I'll call later. Mine's busy. Well, the water ought to be hot again half an hour or so, and you can get the shampoo over with, which will make me very happy indeed. Make you happy? My gosh, I've never been so exonerated in all my life. Everybody's stealing my hot water. You don't mean exonerated. You mean exasperated. Go on. Exasperated is when your time is up. Like when the time limit on a contract has exasperated. Nah, that's expiration. I thought expiration was when a guy put on a pair of fur pants and went looking for the South Pole or something. Are you thinking of exploration? Well, then what does exonerated mean? Exonerated is when you have, not, have been found not guilty of something. Well, who's been guilty of snitching all my hot water? Me? <laughs> no, sir. Everybody else in the house has been the one. Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. What are you scowling at? I'm living in a nest of water pirates, Junior. <laughs> you think this was the Mojave Desert, the way everybody steals water? Well, uh, somebody explain the situation to me. I came in late. Well, uh, he thought 75 cents was too much to pay the barber for a shampoo, Mr. Wilcox, so he came home to do it himself, and every time he gets a tank full of hot water, somebody uses it. Yeah, the way people glom onto it around here, you think it was the dew off the last rose of summer. Hey, look, pal, you're getting very irritable lately. Huh? Last week, you were raving and ranting because nobody trusted your hand-picked mushrooms. Now you're sour-pussing around because you have to wait for a shampoo. What's the matter with you? Well, gee whiz. <laughs> McGee Mr. Wilcox is right Your temper is getting as ragged as a two-dollar retread I can't help it It's hereditary If you think I'm nervous and irritable You should have known my great-great-grandfather Who was he irritable? Why? Well, he was just impatient Couldn't wait for letters to be delivered and answered Couldn't wait for anything Kept saying, why don't somebody invent the telephone? What's everybody waiting for? <laughs> What's that guy Bell doing anyway? Why don't he get with us? <laughs> they say Grandpa was a terror. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that bad temper should have smoothed out in three generations, pal. What if you do have to wait a few minutes for some hot water? What's 20 minutes or less in a lifetime? Tell him what can happen in 20 minutes or less, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Why, well. in 20 minutes or less, pal, a Johnson's glow-coated linoleum dries to a perfect protective finish. Yeah. Restores new life and luster to the faded and worn surface. You gave him that opening, Molly. Whose side are you on, anyway? Say, <laughs> hey, listen, sweetheart, we're all on the same side. Aren't you happy with our product? No, no, not too happy. It don't spell anything backwards. <laughs> I, uh, look, pal, I was merely pointing out that 20 minutes or less can be a happy little period of time. Think of the housewife who pours a little Johnson's blow coat out on her tired old linoleum and spreads it around with a long-handled applier. Then think how the world brightens for her in just 20 minutes or less as the blow coat magically gives her kitchen floor a new lease on life. Do you ever spend 20 minutes or less in a dentist chair, Waxy? Certainly. And well spent, too. You were? No, it was. 
Well, look, I didn't come in here to tell you how to improve the shining hours, pal. Uh, Nick sent me. Who? Nick, the barber. He said to tell you to keep that bib you walked out with. Well, that was very kind of him, I'm sure. Yeah, he said Fibber could keep it till spring when he comes in for his next haircut. So long now. Oh, he said that, did he? If he didn't give the best haircut in town, I'd never darken his hand towels again. <laughs> Bye, George. Hey, you think the water's hot again, Molly? Well, it should be, dearie. And this time, I don't think anybody will cheat you out of it. Well, they better not. The first mug, male or female, that lays a hand on a hot water faucet in this joint is going to get the... Come in. <laughs> oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hello, Mushmouth. <laughs> Hi, Doctor. Hey, you look kind of bushed. What you been doing? Treating a centipede for fallen arches? <laughs> oh, same old routine. Get to bed at 3 a.m., phone rings at 4.15. 5.30, a new little taxpayer starts squawking as loud as a full-grown one. <laughs> at 7, I'm back in bed. At 9, I'm back at the hospital trying to be patient with patients who are trying my patience. Well, you certainly look like you could use a good night's sleep, Doctor. I wish my father and mother had been grizzly bears so I could sleep till about April. As it is, I'm in and out of the hay like a Nebraska pitchfork. <laughs> Don't you even get time to shave? Haven't for two days. Just stopped in here because my car broke down the next block. Take them half an hour to fix it. You know what? What, Doctor? I'd give my right eye, that's the one with the evil leer in it, <laughs> for a hot shower and the use of McGee's no-doubt dull razor. Got any hot water in the house? Why, uh, well, uh... Uh, hot water? Yeah, hot water. You know, that stuff you toss a bone in to make soup. Why, certainly, Doctor. As a matter of fact, we just heated a tank for Yeah, you see, uh, we... I see you are two lovely, charming people. Mm -hmm. And now, if you'll excuse me, I shall run upstairs and swab the frame. If you hear a rusty clatter, pay no attention. It'll be my pores opening. <laughs> well, say it, McGee. Yeah, and go back to vaudeville. Here are the King's Men with the Whistler's Song. Whistle all the day, you will find the sun is shining while you whistle your blues away. Like a symphony of the birds and the bees and the sigh of the trees in the morning. Whistle all day long, the clouds on high will say goodbye and lazily roll along. Whistle loud and clear, all the world will be bright if you start the day right in the morning. See the sunbeams dancing around so happy and gay. Hear them saying, isn't this a wonderful day? Bye. 
the sun is shining while you whistle your blues away. Like a symphony, you will be bright if you start the day right. Like the birds and the bees and the sigh of the breeze at the break of the day, you will say it's a wonderful morning. I've been standing in the shower for almost half an hour. Hey, McGee, I helped myself to a couple of your clean handkerchiefs. I hope you don't mind. Where's McGee, Molly? Out in the kitchen, Doctor. You feel better now? My dear, I feel so much better that with a little luck, I can get through the day without folding up like a summer resort card table. (laughs) Thanks for the hospitality. Not at all, Doctor. And the man came to the door and said your car would be ready in about ten minutes. Ah, it's a wonderful world we're living in, isn't it? I told one of my patients who had sat on a darning needle. Why worry? Everything comes out all right in the end. <laughs> What's McGee doing? Well, he's just sitting there with his shotgun across his knee. A shotgun across his knee? Yes. What's the idea? Going to flush a covey of quail out of the icebox? <laughs> no, he's just making sure that... Uh, well, it's a long story, Doctor. And if it's about your husband, I'd like to hear it. He's a fascinating little character. Well... It started in the barber shop. The barber was going to charge him 75 cents for a shampoo, and McGee thought it was too much. He would. McGee thinks no more of a quarter than I do of my third cervical vertebra. Yes. And he came home to give himself a shampoo. But Alice used all the hot water, and he waited and heated some more. And then Beulie used all the hot water, and he heated some more, and... I get it. You got it. (laughs) Well, my epidermis is more important than his scalp, if only because there's more of it. But what's this about the shotgun? Well, after you took your bath, he lighted the heater again. Now he's sitting there guarding it with his shotgun. He says anybody who steals this batch of hot water is going to be so full of lead, you could use them to write a letter to your Aunt Minnie. Well, I haven't got an Aunt Minnie, but my sister Gertrude would be happy to get a postcard. (laughs) Tell McGee I'm very sorry that... No, no, I'll tell him myself. Where's the kitchen? Through this door? No, 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 please don't. What's the matter? That's the hall closet. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, sure. Uh, will you excuse me while I smoke a hot water pipe of peace with your bitter half? Well, I'll do better than that, Doctor. I'll come with you. Right this way. You know, it really has been exasperating for him, Doctor. And you know how he is when he sets his mind on doing something. I do indeed. He follows through like a broken garter. <laughs> Shall we knock? I do. Who is it? <laughs> Your best friend and severest critic. Or, reading from left to right, your wife and your physician. Okay, come in. Oh, hi, Doc. Feel better? Infinitely. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I used your hot water, my boy. In extenuation, I can only plead my ignorance of the situation. I told him how many times you'd lost the hot water, dearie. No, that's okay, Doc. But believe me, I'm making sure of this tank full. Anybody lays a hand on this water is going to wind up as full of holes as a German treaty. Is your car fixed yet? Well, it will be any minute. I just dropped back here to say goodbye and thank you for a delightful dunk. Hmm. Well, I'll go out with you and see you get started all right, Doc. I don't think anybody will swipe this water now. I've warned them enough. McGee, now, please be careful with that gun. Okay. I'll just set it down here in the corner. Oh, heavenly days, McGee. Look what you did. What a neat third act curtain, my boy. You blew a hole right through the hot water tank. Why, this is impossible. The gun wasn't even loaded.
looks nice since you had your shampoo, McGee. Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? And we're sorry we had to make you keep your barbershop open after hours, Mr. Nick. Forget it, sweeties. I couldn't lock the door till I got out of here anyway. Good night. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> this is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Let George Do It on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for Let George Do It, starring George Bailey in The Smugglers. Standard of California, on behalf of standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you need the kind of help you couldn't get from a cautious man, then you've got a job for me. George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, you may have forgotten the one time we met, but you were the best man at my wedding. Yes, I'm Joe Burke's wife. You won't believe what's happened to him. Easygoing, happy-go-lucky Joe. He's a pitiful mental case, and they've got him in a sanitarium. She was so close to Joe in the army, I thought maybe if he saw you again, it might do more than the doctors have been able to do. I thought of this when I saw your ad in the paper, like a ray of hope. Won't you try to help me? It signed anxiously, Laura Burke. Joe, a mental case? Oh, no, not the Sergeant Burke I knew. Well, George's wife would hardly make up anything like this. But Brooksy at Palermo, when everybody else was either cussing or praying, that hard-headed Irishman just sat around playing a harmonica. Danny boy. It's funny I never heard you talk about him. Well, you know how those things are, Angel. You swear on your G.I. dog tag that you're going to be sure to keep in touch with each other, but as Tempest fugits, old anxiety becomes just the name of a song. But you were his best man. This Laura came to the camp. We hopped the jeep over to the chaplain, and it took 15 minutes for the tender vows. A minute for me to kiss the bride, and they were off. All Joe had was a 48-hour pass. Golly, she sounds so desperate in this letter. Yeah. What's that address, Brooksy? We'd better get right over there. Maybe it's only one chance in a thousand. I had to turn to you, Mr. Valentine. The name is George, remember? He's in that place, getting worse every day. How he doesn't even recognize me. Laura, we do want to help you. But, honey, you're making it so much harder. Here, sit down. I'm sorry. I know this is tough on you, Laura, but try to tell us the whole thing from the beginning. How did this happen to Joe? When? About a month ago, they brought him home from Egypt. Egypt? What was he doing there? Well, after he got out of the army, he got a job with an export company, Kessling Limited. The money was so good he couldn't refuse it. He planned to keep it for two years so so he could put some money aside. Oh, it must have been terrible being separated again. Did Joe uh, begin to lose his grip while he was abroad? Oh, he sent letters regularly, wonderful, cheerful letters about the future. And a couple of months ago, he stopped writing. Yes, Laura? And then, then one day he walked in... Dr. Tarouk. Wait a minute. Who's Dr. Tarouk? Some kind of psychiatrist. The company sent back with Joe to take care of him. Mr. Kessling, he's the president of the company. He's been very kind. What did they say happened? 
some kind of an explosion outside the city. Joe happened to be around, and when he came to in the hospital, he... he, he now, was... take it easy, Laura. Hey, you want to knock off and have a cup of coffee? No, go on, I'm all right. I'll never forget it. Dr. Tarouk left us alone for a minute. Joe just stood there, right where you are, looking at me, looking through me. He tried to talk, but it seemed to hurt too much, so he just kept staring and staring. Oh, George. He took a box of face powder from his pocket and handed it to me. Powder? I guess he meant it as a gift. So pathetic. box of cheap powder. Horrible to watch. Okay, Laura. I think we've heard enough to begin with. Uh, where have they got Joe? The Hillcrest Sanitarium. His company's paying all the expenses, and Dr. Daruk says in time he hopes Joe will be all right. Yeah. But he's getting worse, you see. I thought if you saw him and talked to him, maybe... Maybe by some miracle he'd begin to remember things. He thought so much of him. I him. know. All right, Laura. You want to come along with us? No, I... I always seem to upset him. Okay. Yeah, Claire and I'll drop in on Joe. And he's hoping it'll do some good. A sanitarium should have peace and quiet. But they should build it where people can find it. Yes, it is out of the way. Gosh, and every time I look down into that valley, I get dizzy. Kind of unusual, isn't it, Brooksy? What? A company going to quite so much trouble for one of their people? Sanitarium special psychiatrist who seems to stay on and on? Well, darling, maybe the milk of human kindness doesn't curdle as easily as most people think. Uh, maybe not. Brooksy, I've been in some tough spots. But I think seeing Joe like this is going to be just about the toughest. Dealing with the mind, Mr. Valentine, one is never sure what will be good or bad for the patient. Yeah, I think I know what you mean, Dr. Turok. Perhaps this visit from a dear friend out of the past may do Mr. Burke a world of good. However, on the other hand... Will we be able to see him soon? In a few moments. But perhaps it would be wiser for a young lady like you, Miss Brooks, not to see him at all. Huh? There are just a few things I want to know, Doctor, before... Uh, Dr. Turok... Uh... Oh, Rodney, will you come here? This imposing but very competent gentleman is the male nurse I've hired to be with Mr. Burke, when it is impossible for him to be present. Oh, yeah. He's acting quiet now, Doctor. Good. Very good. We can go in uh, this way, Mr. Valentine, Miss Brooks. There he is. Hey, Joe. Danny boy. Don't you have anything to say for yourself? What did you do? Lose your harmonica? <laughs> oh, George. Rodney, wipe Mr. Burke's forehead. Yes, doctor. You can see, Mr. Valentine, what an effort it costs your friend to try to speak. I'm not blind, doctor. Permit me to explain... The blow he must have received in that accident has injured the tiny wires that crisscross in the brain. His thoughts cannot get through a form of motor or phase. Well, that's good to know, but it doesn't help Joe. Doctor, does he know what we're talking about? I am quite sure he does not. You see, the wires of the brain that are blocked make it more difficult for him to get his thoughts through. 
The theory is... Okay, Doctor, but look... Uh, yes, Mr. Valentine. I'm quite sure you're a very competent psychiatrist, but I... I know you won't mind if I have Dr. Hunter, a friend of mine, come in and have a look at Joe. Just a consultation. Very well. If you feel that way. And it might help to look a little more into that accident. Anything to help your friend, Mr. Valentine. Uh, Rodney. Yes, Doctor? The other case downstairs I was so interested in, I think the crisis may come even before I expected. Uh, would you mind being there to do what is necessary? Then let me know exactly what happens. I'll take care of everything, Good. Doctor. Try talking to him again, George. Hey, look, you big oaf. Stop holding on to me. You know who I am. Hey, we got a lot of old times to talk about. You know me, Valentine. <laughs> oh, I suppose it's no use. Hey, how is it, Dr. Tarouf, that Joe was able to walk when he came home to his wife, and now he's flat on his back and can't use his hands or his legs? I thought he was being cured. It is my hope to arrest the progress of the paralysis. Yeah? To shield him from emotional disturbances. Rid his mind of fear. Fear? What fear? Joe was never afraid of anything in his life. This is a different kind of fear. The fear of becoming a mental basket case with no future and no hope. Oh, cut it out, Doctor. Mr. Valentine, I was just stating the facts. You have until hold from this day forward. Till death us to part. What are you trying to say, Doc? I'm just the best man with a photographic memory. Oh, I know how you feel about Joe this and Laura. This is a death, Brooksy. Those two should be together. Something's got to be done about it. Look, do yourself a favor, George, and listen to me. This is something you don't know anything about. You're no psychiatrist. No, no, you listen to me, Angel. I know Joe looks as though his head was full of nuts and bolts, but he recognized me. What do you mean? We used to have a way of winking at each other, just to say, keep your skin on, brother. This man's war will be over someday. Well? Well, that's what he was giving me back there. I know it. Are you sure you aren't imagining something you want to believe? I don't care for that oily Dr. Brooksy, and I care less for that overgrown meatball Rodney hovering over Joe every minute of the day. I just have a feeling he's not getting the right chance. You can't let it be a question of feelings, darling. Believe me. George! Ah. Golly, me too. Oh, a fine place to get a blow-up. A few more yards and we would have gone pitching into that valley. Hey, wait a minute, Brooksy. Don't open that door. Get down. George, what's the matter with you? Maybe that wasn't a blowout. What? Just playing safe. There doesn't seem to be anyone around now. You stay where you are, Angel. I'll take a look-see. Did you find anything? Yeah. A neat bullet hole in that tire. What? Somebody shot at us from those rocks up there. But who could it be? It'd have to be somebody who knew we'd be coming back this way. Brilliant deduction, Brooksy. But we'll go into that later. Right now, we fix a flat and then get back to town. Hello? Yes, he's here. Just huh? a moment. It's Walker, financial editor of the Bulletin, Good. returning your call. Good. Yeah, uh-huh. You, hold it a second, Walker, huh? Look, Claire, take this down as I give it to you. Okay. Go on, shoot. Uh-huh, yeah. Wrestling, export, and import. Fine $50,000 six weeks ago. Smuggling, diamonds. What? And a shipment of face powder. Since then, out of business. Gave up corporate charter. Yeah, thank you, Walker. That was very helpful. Goodbye. George, what have we gotten into? A very touching little situation, Brooksy. 
The great big corporate heart of Kessling Limited bleeding for one of its employees was hurt. Yeah. In fact, it keeps on bleeding now, long after it ceased to exist, because it was caught smuggling diamonds, no less. How do you think Joe fits into all this? I don't know yet. But right now, we're picking up Dr. Hunter and going back to Hillcrest Sanitarium. Let him take a look at Joe. Yeah, Doc? What'd you find out, Dr. Hunter? I took a good look at your friend, George, and had a long talk with Dr. Taruk. Well, Frank? In Taruk's place, I... I'd have to diagnose the case exactly as he has. Oh. Motor aphasia. Now, progressive paralysis. The whole thing apparently started from some severe shock. I see. Well, now I don't know what to do. His wife told me if we found anything wrong to get him out of here. He's getting all the proper care, as far as I can see. Frankly, I wouldn't suggest that he be moved in his present condition. Okay. Okay, Frank, you know what you know, and I know what I know. Now, Maybe George. I'm wrong about Taruk as a doctor, I mean. But there are too many other things wrong about this setup, including that bullet in my tire. Yes, and I still say Joe Burke was winking at me. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the great American pastime. Batter up. It's baseball season again, and here's a seasonal gift for you. It's a 48-page handbook of baseball. The title is Batter Up. To get your free copy, just ask for Batter Up at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station. This guide to baseball fundamentals was written by Bert Dunn, former pro. It has 45 illustrations and photos. Boys will be keen about it. Batter Up tells how to play each position, pitching, catching, fielding, and how to bat. Girls will go for the chapter on softball. Lefty O'Doul of the San Francisco Seals and Joe Cronin of the Boston Red Sox give their views in this grand book. Another article was written by Clarence Rowland, president of the Pacific Coast League. Here's baseball written by a recognized authority. Get your free copy tomorrow. Batter Up is available at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, you go through the war with a fellow who becomes your buddy. You lose sight of him, and suddenly his wife shows up saying he's in a sanitarium, a mental case. You try to see what it's all about, a bullet comes at you from nowhere. More than that, you're told your buddy is getting the best possible care. You're not convinced, so you decide to dig deeper. In George's case, that means going with Claire to the customs service to have a chat with one of the agents. Well, there really isn't much to it, Mr. Valentine, just what you see in this folder. Uh-huh. What does it say, George? Nothing we didn't know before, Brooksy. Kessling Limited tried to smuggle in diamonds, caught with their carrots down and so forth. Well, I don't know what you expected to find, but compared to some of the stunts we run up against, this wasn't anything too brilliant. Apparently not. The company's out of business now. Now, we've had people try to get diamonds through in glass eyes and wads of chewing gum almost every way. Hiding them in boxes of face powder, well, <laughs> maybe they thought it was so obvious they'd get buying. Yeah, maybe. Face powder, Brooksy. Why didn't it hit us before? Of course. Joe gave Laura a box of face powder. What's that? Yeah, it's not important, at least not yet. Uh, say, tell me something, Craven. Yes? What happens to the rest of the cargo when you catch people smuggling? We have regular custom sales like an auction. In fact, there's one tomorrow. Oh, that's 
Very interesting. It'll be held in one of those loft buildings down on Fayette Street. There's a public notice in the papers today. Good enough. Come on, Brooksy. Uh, thanks a lot for your trouble. Oh, don't mention it. George, I think when Joe gave Laura that box of powder, he was trying to tell her about the smuggling his company was doing. Could be, Brooksy. Could be. But maybe we'll know more about that tomorrow. Young lady, you and I are going to an auction. Isn't worth a hundred bucks, Foxy, but here I go and we'll see what happens. Three hundred dollars, Mr. Auctioneer. How uh, much did you say? Three hundred. If you get stuck with all that powder, I don't know how we're going to get it out of here. Well, I don't suppose there'll be any more bids, so. Uh... Four hundred. George. Yeah, no, Angel. I'm going to hit it again just to make sure. Five hundred. Six hundred. The uh, gentleman who said five hundred, you uh, got another bid, sir? Not me. Count me out. Okay, if the gentleman who bet 600 just... No one ever did find out Cleopatra's secret, Brooksy. What do you say we go downstairs and see if we can't make history? George, it's getting dark. Let's make believe it's dinner and I'll go down to that lunch wagon and get us a couple of containers of coffee. Okay, but... Hey, hold it, Brooksy. Huh? That little black truck over there. They're loading something into it. Cleopatra's secret. Hey, you see any name on the truck? I can't. Oh, no, there isn't any name. Oh, I should have known better than to ask. They would have thought of that. Okay, take it away. Brooksy, we're off again. We'll keep a good half a block behind them, just like this. Darling, I never want to see another warehouse as long as I live. They could at least put some lights in the window. Yeah, and some fiorgany curtains. The only light I'm interested in right now, Angel, is that little red one up ahead. It's turning the corner. Hey, a dead-end street, no truck. But we were right behind them. Truck can't just disappear into thin air. There's only one warehouse on this whole... Yeah, and it's all boarded up. Hey, that big overhead door could have been up. Just waiting for that truck to get in and then close down. I can't think of any other explanation except magic. Yeah, well, we're not going to go ringing any doorbells and tip our mitt. Look out! Get out of here. That shot came from that warehouse. This is getting monotonous. Being used for clay pigeons twice in two days. Hey, Brooksy. Yes? Take a good look at that street sign under the lamp and yes. remember it. Listen to this, Brooksy. All the dope on that warehouse on Barrow Street. It's owned by the Filan Trading Company. So? And the offices and stockholders of Filan are the same as those of the late Kessling Limited, including the very kindly Mr. Kessling Laura told us about. George, I can't make head or tails out of this. Why would they go and buy up all that old worthless face powder? I don't have the answer, Brooksy, but maybe Laura has. That's why we're going over and see her right now. Laura! What happened to you? I don't know, really. Something hit me. Well, didn't you see who it was? No, I, I was sitting here waiting for a call from you. And then I, I don't remember anything except waking up on the floor. George, this place is in a shower. Well, they didn't take anything. What's that? No, I, I looked all around. My pocketbook with almost $100 in it. All my jewelry. 
Oh, that's still there on the dresser. Uh-huh. Oh, what about Joe? Tell me what that doctor friend of yours said. Did he think there was any hope? Of course there's hope. You've got to believe that. There's every hope, Laura. But tell me something. Where did you put that box of face powder Joe gave you? How? Yes, yes, you remember. You told us about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I I just opened it and then I put it in that drawer over there. Yeah, I'm sure of it. It isn't here now. Laura, listen. That firm Joe worked for was smuggling ring. Diamonds. What are you saying? Joe would never be mixed up in anything like that. I didn't say he was. But as far as we know, there could have been a fortune in gems in that box of powder he gave you. And the one moment Dr. Tarouk left you two alone. What does all this have to do with Joe? That's all I care about. George, you don't think the sanitarium, the auction sale, the warehouse, all that was a part of a sip or something that was here all the time? Oh, Claire, I'm tired of guessing. I feel like a dime being pushed around on a shuffleboard. What do you mean? Somebody is in an awful hurry about getting something done, trying to meet a deadline. What about Joe? That's what makes me think. Tarouk wasn't too worried about me bringing in another doctor to look at Joe. How does visit prove that? The important thing was to keep me from snooping around, interfering with their schedule. That was the reason for the double talk with Rodney and the pot shot at us. What schedule, George? What are you talking about? Something's coming off and coming off soon. Look, stay here with Laura, Angel. I've developed a sudden interest in boats. Incoming and outgoing. You again, Valentine. Yeah, Craven, the Customs Service and I are getting to be just like that. I'll be right with you as soon as I clear this manifesto. All right, Daugherty, you can put that shipment through. Hey, look, fella, this is really important, and time is what we don't have the most of. Huh? Oh, if you've still got that wrestling deal on no, your mind, No, no, I... no. Same people, but a different name. As far as you know, is there anything coming through for the company known as uh, Farland Trading? No, I don't know, but I can soon find out. Here, just a minute. Well... No, I don't see anything Are yet. you sure? Everything points. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah? Uh, here it is. I missed it because the boat's already in. Uh-huh. Sank it out there in the harbor. Has the cargo been cleared yet? No, that's scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, what's Farland bringing in? Uh, three crates of powdered cocoa beans from the West Indies. Shipping in on the Pandora, Peruvian registry. Captain Martin... No, no, we can skip that, Craven. How soon can we get out to the Pandora? Why, tomorrow we'll I be told on the... Kessling and Farland are one and the same trading company. Hey, I think I see what you mean, Valentine. We'll take a speedboat, get right out there to the Pandora. Ahoy, there! Customs service captain, we're coming aboard! Come on, Valentine. I thought you weren't ready for us until tomorrow. Uh, something special turned up, Skipper. Yeah, specifically powdered cocoa beans from Marlin Company. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's this trip. Those are some of their crates right here on deck. Okay. Let's try this one for a start. Say, so, what are you fellas looking for anyway? Carrots, Captain. Huh? Are you kidding? Diamonds, Captain. Oh, now, you feel around that side, Valentine. I'll take this. Okay. Farland, eh? I thought I knew them all. That's new one on me. All right, Craven. Here we are. Huh? Yeah, it's a beauty, too. Take a look at it. Hey! Oh, nice size. I wonder how many more we're going to find. Oh, just enough, but not too many. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, look, Craven. Can I take a sample of this cocoa? Just enough for a cup, let's say? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Help yourself. I doubt if they'll miss it when we auction the stuff off. Uh, thanks again for the tip, Valentine. Oh, you're very welcome. But... 
Don't be surprised if I get in touch with you again. Well, Mr. Ross, what's the verdict? What does the chemical analysis show? <laughs> Powdered cocoa, huh? Oh, never mind the suspense. What did you find? Oh, there is cocoa here, all right, but mixed with something that sells for roughly $7,000 a pound. Dope. $7,000 a pound. No wonder Kessling and the boys could afford to use diamonds for window dressing. Uh, what's that? Oh, it'd take too long to explain. Thanks. And remind me to submit your name for the Nobel Prize. What do you want, Valentine? Out of my way, Rodney. You can't go in there. Nobody sees Burke. Dr. Taruk's orders. You're a sucker for Taruk's orders, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have missed me when you took a shot of my car on the road yesterday. I was just waiting for that big yap to open like that so I could... What is all? Greetings, Dr. Taruk. What have you done, Mr. Valentine? The scene should speak for itself. If you don't want to join Rodney, you'll just sit right down on that bench. Maybe you should be a patient here, Mr. Valentine. Oh, yeah, sure. I got a persecution complex. I can't rest. I can't sleep. I see things. Have bad dreams. I'm afraid there's no hope for me until I hear you and your friends try to explain more than a million bucks worth of dope. I... I... I have nothing to say. When the police and the customs men get here, Dr. Taruk... You'll have plenty to say. Oh, can you beat that, Valentine, using diamonds for a smokescreen? Yep, Craven, that was the racket. They plant the diamonds, not too expensive ones, of course, in case the shipment is open. If they're found, nobody looks any further. And they pay the fine. And they buy up the supposedly worthless stuff at the auction for peanuts and make themselves a million. Uh, tell me, uh, how did that friend of yours in the sanitarium fit into all this, Valentine? Well, as I get it, Joe found out what Kessling was doing and was going to talk. All that stuff about an accident in Egypt was a bunk. Now, they gave him a brutal going over. When he came out of it, he had what a psychiatrist so pompously called functional neuroses induced by severe blows on the head. Gosh, they probably meant to kill him. Sure, but why take chances? There might be investigations. Now, they figured it was better this way. Taruk could see to it that Joe didn't snap out of it until this shipment came through, and they'd all take it on the land. That was their deadline. <laughs> How do you like your new barracks, soldier? <laughs> oh, don't try too, too hard to talk, Joe. We always used to understand each other without too many words. I don't know how we'll ever be able to thank you and Claire. Dr. Hunter says Joe's going to be all right. Uh, George, what about that wedding present? You know, the one the best man forgot to give? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, Joe. You and Laura ran out on me so fast that day in camp, I didn't get a chance to give you the usual set of toilets or a percolator or something. Well, uh, now he can at least be the messenger of some good news that may make up for that. The customs man told us. It says right in the book, anyone instrumental in thwarting a smuggling attempt is entitled to 25% of what the Treasury gets on dutiable goods. Yeah. And those diamonds don't come cheap, you know. That's right, Joe. You're really the guy who was uh, instrumental. At <laughs> <laughs> ease, soldier. Hey, you know, Brooksy, this time I'm sure he winked. <laughs> Now, a message of importance to motorists. 
It's a safe bet that along with these first days of spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love, but it's also a safe bet that every motorist's fancy has already turned to thoughts of the open road. If you're making weekend trips at this season with frequent starts and stops for the family car, here's something worth knowing. When you've got Chevron Supreme gasoline in your tank, you get instant action every time you press the starter. It's a premium gasoline that's tailored to the season of the year and to each different altitude zone in the West. Besides saving you a lot of grinding, starting wear, Chevron Supreme gives your car speedy pickup in your stop-and-go traffic, and it assures full power for rugged hill climbing. Best of all, you're never far from Chevron Supreme gasoline. Throughout the West, you can get it at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations, where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Well, here we are. Now, out you go, Brooksy. You know what you're supposed to do. Yes, George. But you don't know what you're asking of me. That Rene woman brings out the fishwife in me. Anything can happen. Well, go on now, Angel. That gal in there didn't tell us half what she really knows. Maybe because you do rub her the wrong way, we can find out some more. Well, okay. So good to me. Well, now for Rene. I wish I'd let my fingernails grow. Thank you for listening tonight, and in fact, all this week. I hope you'll join me again next Monday evening. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.